everyone, and welcome to another edition of Today's Talk. And Matt and Andrew here to bring some baseball talk from our living rooms to yours. Make sure to go follow us on social media at Dunedin Blue Jays on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's guest was undrafted out of the New York Institute of Technology in 2011 and is currently a coach with the Dunedin Blue Jays. Please welcome Coach George Carroll. George, how you doing today? What's up, baby? How you guys doing? We're doing, we're doing great, man. We're just uh, getting ready for some baseball coming up here in the next couple of weeks, man. Yeah, got to will. What have you guys been doing? What you been, what's been going on during quarantine? I know you're down here. What's been going on during quarantine down here? Well, I live, I live in Tampa, right? So I live in the Tampa Bay area. I'm from, uh, I'm from a small town up north um, called New York City. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. Population's about like 8 million or something like that. Um, in my town, I grew up in Queens. Population's about 3 million, so... Small, you know, small town guy growing up uh, living in Tampa. But um, I'll tell you what, living down here and um, it, the weather being pretty nice up until the past three weeks, you know, you're able to get outside, you're able to do stuff. You know, um, my wife and I, uh, you know, we challenge each other on a couple things during this time period. And uh, one of those challenges was, uh, you know, my, you know, started off with a, a weight loss challenge kind of type thing. So I ended up actually losing like 30-something pounds throughout this whole thing. So it was pretty good. You're doing a lot better than most no of us. No complaints. Yeah, no complaint. Yeah, you. I heard someone say you're going to come out of this thing as a, as a hunk or a chunk, and I'm going with a hunk, baby. There you go. <laughs> so you said you were born in, in, in right outside of Queens, uh, Bayside, New York, actually, it said on yep. the baseball reference page. When did you first start playing baseball, George? Um, probably as like a little kid. You know, I don't I don't remember playing t-ball, but uh, I, I do have a uh, kind of a memory. of My uncle took me one time to like tryouts, like literally tryouts when I was like five, and uh, and I remember him saying, "He's like, I knew you were going to be good when you were five. I said, "Oh, what are you, what are you talking about?" Because he brought my neighbor with me with us, and he goes, uh, "The ball went up in the air. They told you to catch it. You put your hands up. You caught it." Ball went up in the air for the other kid. He put his hands up and it hit him in the face and he cried. So <laughs> he said, uh, you know, I knew I always knew you were going to be good. So uh, I guess about five, six, when I probably started really playing baseball. That's all it takes is catching a pot fly and not letting it hit you in the face, right? Yeah, just don't let it hit you in the face. It'd be good. <laughs> so who were you, some of your favorite athletes growing up? Uh, who, what, what, what ball players were you looking up to? Um... Well, the political answer, I should probably say, you know, I was a huge, uh, huge Robbie Alomar fan, you know, huge Delgado fan. But in reality, I grew up a Yankee fan. Um, so my favorite players, uh, my favorite player growing up, uh, believe it or not, and this is, is going to sound funny, was uh, you know, Biggio's dad, Greg Biggio's Long Island guy. Um, one of my favorite players growing up, even though he wasn't a Yankee. Um, Jorge Posada was probably, you know, my guy, you know, GC20. Got the 20 on my necklace. Um, big fan. Started wearing that when I was a kid. Um, but my dad was a huge Don Mattingly fan. Um, and I don't really remember watching him play, but I remember my dad always talking about Mattingly and how that guy, this guy, uh, Tino Martinez, you know, ain't no Don Mattingly. And then um, Tino turned out to be Tino <laughs> for the Yankees. But uh, so, you know, those were a couple of my favorite players growing up. I got a cool Mariano story I'll tell you later if you want to hear it. Um, he was one of my favorite players. So, you know, I, was, I grew up a Yankee fan. That's, you know, I could recite the 96, 98, 99 rosters, you know. Well, let's hear the Mariano Rivera story. You got to kick it off. Let's kick it off with the Mo story right now, man. You want to do that? Let's go. All right, fun fact. 
Coach George over here uh, was the uh, home run derby catcher in 2013. Uh, I caught the home run derby for the American League. I uh, also caught the Futures game the day before in the bullpen. Not, not in the game. wasn't that good. Um, and then um, I actually caught the American League bullpen um, for the All-Star game. And, um, you know, uh, I'll just fast. Uh, there, there's a picture that someone sent me. It was me and, me and Mo. Um, in the, in the bullpen and we were talking and I have like my finger pointing making the guy laugh and he was laughing and uh, one of my friends goes yo dude what the hell are you guys talking about and so I went into the story I said well in 96 or 90 this was before he was a closer so I think it was like John Wetland or whatever the hell was the closer but we went to this uh, holiday inn near where I originally went to college I went to Hofstra University first so um, Hofstra if you guys know I'm Hofstra um, when the Saints made the Super Bowl, they they made fun of Hofstra. They said Marcus Colston went to Hofstra. What's a Hofstra? Um, that's where I went to college first. You know, I went to Hofstra because, you know, my mom went to Hofstra. My cousins went to Hofstra. Like many people are like Florida State fans and all those big football college fans. You know, we were big Hofstra fans, big Speedy Claxton fans. But anyway, so the Holiday Inn was near Hofstra University, and um, he's signing autographs. And I, and I remember my dad. Uh, said something to him he's like oh you know what would you rather do be throwing 100 pitches or sign 100 autographs and I, he said something like oh yeah throw 100 pitches in an inning or something but the backstory to that card is the, the card they signed um not knowing this you know my dad wasn't the sharpest bolt my dad's not the sharpest tool in the box um it, his his the only statistics on the card were his gulf coast league stats sign the card so at the all-star game his son uh, played at Iona, at Iona, which is, you know, near, near where I grew up. You know, it's a little bit upstate. When I say upstate, it's like 20 minutes north of me um, in Queens. But uh, I asked him, I said, hey, man, can your dad sign a card for me? He goes, yeah, absolutely. So I had the card in my back pocket and I had a pen. And it was the same card. So he actually signed the same card for me twice. Once at 96 at some random freaking Holiday Inn Express or something. And then uh, he signed it at the at the in the bullpen at City Field, and then oh, and then POTUS, President of the United States, tweeted a picture of me of me of me giving Mo a pound as he was coming out of the bullpen. Not Mariano, it was, it was me giving him a pound. So you know, I got a couple of cool stories from that All Star game. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's incredible. We're gonna get to more of that. We're gonna have to get to more of the All Star game a little bit later, and and uh, you know. yeah you got there and everything and uh you know it's, you know it's going to be a good interview when you drop speedy claxton and marcus colston <laughs> oh yeah i used to work at crebet's too wayne crebet remember that guy oh yeah bartending bartending there for about about a month until the guy cheating the, the the guy who was running it cheated me out of some tips and i was like i'm out of here see you later <laughs> well wayne crebet's also uh isn't he a hofster guy he's an ivy league guy yep well, Hofstra is not Ivy League, but it, it, you need to be somewhat intelligent. I, you know, if you're a non-athlete, you're okay. But uh, if you were, if, if you were a non-athlete, you had to be smarter. <laughs> Non-athletes, you know, you got a little extra love. But uh, trust me, <laughs> not too many bright people walking around that campus sometimes. So you attended Holy Cross High School. You played baseball all four years. Uh, you hit. You hit your uh, you hit uh, 330 your junior year, 318 your senior year. You're also team captain and graduated uh, cum laude uh, at Holy Cross. 
How much yeah. did Coach uh, Doug Man Manfredonia? Is that how you say yeah. it? How much did he help your development as a young player? Oh, significant, man. And, and, and part of it wasn't just Doug. It was also one of my best friends. I got to play, I got to play high school baseball with one, one of my best friends, guy, Efri Valdez. So Efri and, Efri and I played for Doug. We played for a team called the Bayside Yankees growing up. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it, but we were like a really, really good organization. Um, like my 16U team, I think, out of 15 of us, I think 14 out of 15 of us played college baseball, and I think eight out of eight or ten of us played in the pros. So, like, we played a really good, got a really good team, man. Like, uh, but anyway, so Dougie was our coach um, one summer before we went to high school, and then you know he really he really helped us grow. You know, he taught us how to be men. He taught us, you know, he he didn't take it easy on us, and I think it was really, really beneficial for him to be like kind of a hard ass and believe it or not. So Dougie played when I went to New York tech, which is where I loved, which is where I'm happy I ended up going to. Um, so I went to New York tech and, and Doug played for, for coach Hirschfield, who's like legendary coach on, in Long Island. So, uh, and coach Hirsch, I think in like 38 years produced 67 professionals. Um, I was the 67th. I think there's now 68 that have come from my high school. I mean, from my college, but, um, uh, but going back to the Holy Cross, you know, we had a lot of, we had a really good team, man. And, you know, one of the things that, that Dougie um, always, you know, one of the things that stuck up here is, is, is a, he was a big base running guy. He, he actually played for the Dodgers. Um, so Dougie in the minor leagues, played in the Dodgers organization. Um, but it's some of the things that he taught me, I actually teach to our guys here with the Blue Jays, you know, just the emphasizing of hitting the corners, making good turns, you know, it just the little things like that, that kind of stuck with me from him. So like he, he really taught us a lot and, you know, made us better, you know, not just, you know, better hitters and defenders, but, you know, all around made us better baseball players. So actually when I went to Hofstra and I, and I, I left Hofstra, I hated, I hated being playing there. I enjoyed the college, but uh, and then I transferred to New York tech. And when I went to New York tech, uh, believe it or not, I found this out two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I was actually the last player in NCAA history to transfer D1 to D1 and not sit out a year. Fun fact, learned that three weeks ago from my friend Chris Rojas, who's now coaching at New York Tech. Um, so, um, yeah, but went to Tech, but five of us uh, went, to, went to high school together, actually played at New York Tech together because it was um, like – Doug fed a lot of a lot of the good players to, to New York Tech, believe it or not. Because on Long Island, well, at least back, you know, up, up until I finished up there, you went to New York Tech. It wasn't because you really wanted to go to Tech because you really thought there was a chance of you playing after college because Tech was known as like, oh, you go to Tech, there's a really good chance to get drafted because Coach Hirsch, you know, was, was a tough but He he was like a father figure to us. He took care of us. And if you wanted it, you earned it, you know, he would help you out. But, you know, at the end of the day, he said, hey, boys you got to get a job one day can't play baseball forever so um <laughs> she's always tell us though but uh he, he was he was real and he was honest and you know i think being cut from the same doug was cut from the same cloth i was cut cut from and you know i think that's what instilled uh you know instilled a work ethic and just being good baseball players so you kind of talked about it your family went to hostra is that what made you choose hostra and did you have any other schools recruiting you uh coming out of high school yeah, I had the two D1 offers. I had New York Tech. I had Tech, believe it or not, Tech and Hofstra. And then I had, um, uh, uh, Jesus Christ, I got to think back. 
uh, Malloy College, a bunch of like Division twos on the, on Long Island, uh, Malloy College, Dominican College, uh, Concordia College. Um, there was like a school called Methodist College or something like that in South Carolina. They're like, hey, you want to come pitch? I was like, yeah, I'm good. Uh, but uh, yeah, there was a couple schools, but no, Hofstra and New York Tech were my two, my 1A, 1B. Um, like I said, uh, when I transferred to Tech, it was because I had a lot of my friends that were there and I felt comfortable walking in that situation. And the kid who got my money at Tech ended up failing out his freshman year. So that money was available. So it was like the perfect storm. It was like, here you go. So, and one of the reasons why, um, so believe it or not, Dougie coached, I played in ACBL my first uh, college summer like you know the after freshman year you play college summer ball so I got to play in the ACBL I got to play in the Cape twice I got to play in the Valley League as well um, but the ACBL Doug was our coach so I really had Doug as a coach for like freaking six years but um, I remember I worked during the day uh, coach Hirsch had a, a camp called the New York Baseball Academy which is which was at the time and for at least 35 years it was the largest camp in the country like they would do 90 to 150 kids a week for eight weeks this thing was a well-oiled machine, man, before uh, Hirsch uh, ended up selling it to Hofstra, which, yeah, ironically, he sold it to Hofstra, the camp. Um, but anyway, a lot of my friends worked at camp. We all worked camp because we all need money, right? So I remember all the guys at, at, uh, at Tech were like, hey, you know, this one kid failed out. Like, you should come. We could use you. And I was like, you know what? I'd rather go play for my friends than this guy who I'm playing for right now. And, you know, I'm not going to mention his name, but, you know, I wasn't. Yeah, I just didn't feel comfortable there. I, I, didn't, I didn't like being there. I, I just didn't like it because at Tech, it was all guys I played against in high school, a lot of guys from Queens, a lot of guys from, like, the Long Island summer teams. You know, I went to Hofstra. I didn't, I didn't really feel like I fit in very well. Um, but, um, you know, but going to Tech, I remember when I got signed, I remember uh, I think it was Andrew Tinnish, um, one of our a scout for us when I got signed with the Blue Jays. Um, I feel like it was him who came up to me and said, hey, I love Tech guys. I said, oh, really? He goes, why is that? Because you guys got effing bulldogs. I love it. And I was like, oh, all right. We got a good reputation. It was either him or Mike Pesci. I forgot who it was. It was one of the guys. But um, Tech always had a reputation of, like, putting out guys who, like, will run through a wall for you and kick your ass. So I was reading a little interview that uh, that was in a that was in a newspaper in 2011 after you, after you got signed by the Jays. They were interviewing one of your old teammates, Alex uh, Nikolic. Nikolic, yeah. And he said that uh, when you were starting as a as a freshman, fourteen years oh, yeah. on on varsity, you guys would go to a gym in Queens with Coach Doug, yourself, and Alex, and have some set up the nets and have a late night winter practice. And you were in there working on your swing. Tell us a little bit about some of those late night practices and and what you learned in there. Yeah, it was me. F. Well, Alex is like my best friend. Effrey's one of my best friends. It was it was a, a group of us that would go you know, late night. We'd go to the cage in College Point. And, you know, we always work and work and working because you know one of the things we always thought we got to keep grinding because grinders grind, man. And uh, if you might not be the best player at the time, but if you're gonna work your ass off, you you can get where you can get to. That was like the mentality that we always had. You know, nothing was uh, nothing was given to us. It was always earned. You know, even though I did go to all boys Catholic high school. Um, I went to all boys Catholic high school kind of like because it was the best option for me because I sucked at school, man. I was, I was a very good student, but I remember when I went to, when I went to cross my, my parents threatened to kill me 
if I failed because <laughs> they were paying money for me to go to high school. You can go to high school for free. <laughs> so um, uh, it was, but the the CHSAA in Queens, like in the Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan, the, the Catholic high school league is way better than the public school league, believe it or not, for talent and for sports. Believe it or not, basketball will probably be king in New York City for like like a school like Lincoln. Probably be, and, and there's some other good schools, baseball schools like George Washington. Those are some good programs, but uh, you know, overall, the Catholic high school league is is way more dominant than the PSL. All right. So you attended, uh, as we said before, you attended the New York Institute of Technology. Um, you were the captain of the team. Um, in your time at NYT, baseball was the only sport um, at NYT that was competing at a division one level under the leadership of, you said, Bob Hirschfield. How much did you learn from, from Bob uh, at your time at NYT and what kind of baseball player did he make you? Well, like I said earlier, coach Hirsch was like a father figure to us. So he, you know, taught us discipline, you know, taught us, you know, how to take ownership of your actions, you know, stuff like that. He was just a really good, he was a really good baseball guy and he let us play. Um, there were times where he, you know, where he kind of took over. But one of the things that, that helped me in my development was uh, he allowed me to call call the, call my games, which, uh, you know, he had a lot of trust in his players, especially his catchers, like me and the other guy who caught for the most part at Tech uh, while we were both there together. He, he let us run our own ship until he really felt like he needed to interject. The only time he ever really did that was, uh, you know, kickoff situations, you know, something he really wanted. But for the most part, anytime he ever called a pitch, we'd always basically be on the same page. So. Because he taught us one thing he taught us there was to, you know, do our homework and, and our due diligence of like learning about the other team. How, when did you first start calling your own games as a catcher? And how hard is it to really learn how to call a good game? Uh, so, like I said, I'm playing for Dougie, cuts from the same cloth as Coach Hirsch. Uh, Doug kind of let me do it as a freshman. Um, and, you know, my friend Alex, you're talking about, I actually caught two no hitters for him. And I don't remember ever, yeah, so um, as a freshman. So um, I always felt like that was a strong point in my game, um, you know, especially at that age level. Like, because you kind of typically, you learn certain, a lot of the guys we all play against each other, so we kind of know who's who. Um, we all kind of grew up together. So it, that made it a little bit easier. Uh, getting to college makes it a little bit harder because then you play some other teams, you really don't familiar with some players. But, you know, I felt like just following some golden rules, uh, um, allows you to be a better game caller. For example, I remember uh, we were playing St. Edmunds in um, uh, St. Edmunds High School there in, there in Brooklyn. I remember uh, this was a learning learning thing. Uh, I called two fastballs for our, one of our pitchers, Eric Johnson, who went to high school with me and also went to college with me. He threw like 94, 95. Um, and I remember this kid, uh, their best player, the three or four hitter, foul back, foul back. Um, we're like three or four pitches in, five pitches in, and I accidentally called a changeup. Uh, that thing made its way over the plate, and then it made its way onto the Belt Parkway. And I remember um, Dougie coming in. I mean, he wasn't mad that, like, like we called the pitch. He was mad because I didn't give him a reason why we called it. And so that was kind of like a learning thing right there. I was like, oh, man, like, oof, I got to have a reason for why I did it. So I think that really actually helped my, my game calling. And, and Hirsch was the same way. He said, why did you call it? And if you gave him a reason – whatever if you know right or wrong we'll talk about it later but if you didn't have an answer um ooh, yeah, not good because that means the thought process wasn't there 
Is that the hardest thing you think of being a coach now and trying to uh, coach up our guys in the GCL maybe as a catcher? Do you think that's the hardest part for a guy coming uh, maybe from the DSL or something like that to really get them to learn how to call a game? Yeah, 100%. Um, and we're actually doing a really good job of it this, I guess you want to call it off-season too. Um, like we, we've really hammered that with our guys um, because honestly, I know things can be learned, but I feel like it's a real feel thing at the lower levels, like kind of understanding hitters' tendencies, like how they start their feet. Um, and then when you're playing at the lower levels, you're basically going more off the pitcher's strengths than you are the hitter's weaknesses because you don't have a lot of information to go off of. Um, the only information, most of the information you have is what you're actually seeing in the box. Um, and then you have to use your pitcher's strengths, you know, to attack what you think might be his weaknesses. Um, but the way I like to think of it is think of like the typical lineup um, of like, you know, leadoff hitter is going to be the fastest guy. Nine hole hitter is going to be like the second leadoff hitter. You know, your three hitter is going to be your hybrid guy. Your four or five, six are going to be guys that can potentially put it out or at least hit with, with some, with some power. And then your seven, eight hitter, which is where I hit in the lineup, um, really don't do much. <laughs> so, you know, you kind of try to figure out, um, you, you kind of can go that way if you're not really familiar with the lineup. And then, um, you know, it's, and then at the end of the day, it's, it's what you're, you're there for the, for the pitcher. So um, what is he got, what has he got that day? And if he's got nothing, ooh, you got to figure out a way to lead him, you know, to the promised land. You know, sometimes they don't get there, but uh, at least at the end of the day, you can say, I did everything I could to help my guy be the best he could be. So when it comes to game calling, it's, I feel like that's the hardest part of it. Like you can, we, you know, some people, you know, Beat, beat receiving to death, beat blocking to death, beat, beat throwing to death, especially at the youth level. You know, the, the number one metric that measurable for kids is, you know, pop time. So, like, when I work, I work with a lot of kids outside of, outside of the building, um, like, you know, my high school kids in the Tampa area, and they always say, oh, my pop time. And it's like, uh, no, we need to do a better job of X, Y, and Z before we can be good at this. So, anyway, that's, you know, game calling is, is a difficult thing, and it's a, it's a really important trait to have. Take you back to college here. What is your favorite memory that you had of uh, either playing in college or just your time in college? Um, I would say the camaraderie with, you know, with your teammates. You know, it's, it's a lot of the memories I have on the field of like, you know, I've had a bunch of, you know, me personally, I had a couple of game winning hits, you know, stuff like that. You know, I've had a couple of times where I was not the guy who was delivering the game winning hit, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But I remember a lot of the, you know, we had a really good group of guys at Tech um, so a lot of the memories are both on and off the field. Um, you know, it's just, we were all still very close because the NY, the tech alumni is really strong. When I say it's strong, it's, it's strong. You know, we all, we all know each other. We all keep in touch. Um, and, and now at New York tech, um, believe it or not, uh, head coach is uh, former blue Jay, Frank Calinato, long Island legend, head coach, big leaguer. Uh, the assistant coach is Jimmy Gels. Uh, he played at New York Tech, also played uh, in AAA. The uh, second assistant is Chris Rojas. He went to New York Tech. Uh, he played in the in the Phillies organization. Uh, the third assistant is uh, Ray Gianelli. Uh, his name is his name is actually uh, at the stadium, 1991. Um, you know the balls on the stadium to the right. You know the ball of guys that went to the big leagues. Uh, former Blue Jay, former Twin, big leaguer. So four guys on that staff, three of them are alumni, Ray, Chris, and Jimmy. Uh, two are in the big leagues. So right now you have probably the best 
staff in college baseball is at New York Tech right now. So, you know, there's a lot of history that that program, man, it really is. And, you know, it's, it's one of those sleeper programs that a lot of people might not be like, oh, yeah, I remember that school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, but, you know, at that school, man, you know, there wasn't a lot of campus life. I'm not going to lie to you. It was, it was we made our, you know, our experience there, the base, us as a group made it worthwhile. What was the, uh, when you go undrafted, what was that process like? Uh, did you know the Jays were going to call? Uh, did you have other teams uh, also talking to you? Or how did that go for you? Not really. Uh, the Jays were like the only real team. I had like a couple teams like say, hey, we're going to put you in. All right. You know, but uh, Mike Pesci, who was the scout who signed me, and Mike was the best. He goes, uh, I believe in you, George. You believe in you. Hopefully, we get it done. We'll get it done. I was like, all right, hopefully. If I don't go play, I'll go play independent ball maybe somewhere. Um, but I remember the draft was over, and uh, I was like, ah, damn, I didn't get picked. And then uh, 23 minutes later, I get a phone call from uh, from Pesh. He goes, hey, man, Georgie, what's up? Blah, blah, blah. He goes, oh, we're going to sign you. I was like, oh, what do you mean you're going to sign me? He goes, uh, we're going to sign you with the Jays. You, you okay with that? I was like, yeah, fine. Yeah, we're good. And then he asked, uh, can you fly down here? This is like a Wednesday. He's like, can you get down here Saturday? I was like, uh, you know, I'm broke, man, but I'll find some money for a ticket. I'll figure out how to get down there. Like, my car just doesn't work anymore, but, like, I'll figure it out. He goes, no, 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 no. They'll pay for the flight. I was like, no, really? He goes, yeah, yeah, they'll pay for the flight. I said, oh, it's good. And then he goes, um, they'll even pick up the cab fare from the hotel, I mean, from the airport to the hotel. I was like, no effing way. Really? So that's awesome. All right, I'll, I'll see you Saturday. <laughs> So that was that was it. I'll tell you what, that flight must have been great too, knowing that uh, it's on the Blue Jays' time, right? Yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you a funny story. So with Sean Lucas, uh, he also he was uh, where'd he go? Uh, he went to school in, in uh, Staten Island. He went to Wagner College. He was at the pre-draft workout I was at. It's got John Lucas. Him and I were buddies for a while. Um, I remember we were on the flight going down. Him and I are in the back hanging out. We're all excited, blah, blah, blah. And I remember in front of us, there was a guy who was on his first flight ever. And uh, we hit a little turbulence. And uh, his buddy, turned the guy who goes, turns to his buddy, goes, hey, this normal? Friend looks him stone cold in the eyes. He goes, no. <laughs> I lost it in the back. <laughs> so that's how I knew it was going to be a good summer. <laughs> Can't do that to somebody <laughs> It's great. Yeah. I mean, John, I'm losing it. <laughs> so you spent a few years in the Blue Jays organization as a player. In 2012, you got to play in the GCL with uh, a very young 18-year-old, uh, Ryan Brucky. Did you catch oh, yeah. him in any of those games, and did you know he was <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I got to, you know, I got to catch some good players in our organization. Uh, I, didn't, I got to catch Strowman. I got to catch Brucky. I got to catch Aaron. Joe Musgrove, you know, there's a lot of big leaguers that I got an opportunity to catch, even if it was like a short time. But Barucky was always like that special kid. You always knew he was going to – everyone knew he was going to be a big leader. It was just the amount of when because, you know, he's got the work. He's, you know, he's got the work ethic. He's he's stone-cold killer, man. He's he's a hard worker. He's a good kid. Um, and believe it or not, him and I are still friends. So, um, you know, he's, he's one of those guys I always you know, really root for when I see him, see him on TV, you know, a little extra love, you know. Uh, but he's he's a good dude. He always knew he was going to be, you know, a big leaguer. And we talked about it a little earlier. You were the catcher for the home run derby, American League yeah. American League bullpen catcher in 2013 at City Field, right right around the right around your area there. Uh, how did you get that gig? How much did it mean to you being so close to home? 
Uh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> uh, that's how I got it. No, um, there's a guy who I'm not going to mention his name, but he's uh, involved in the Mets organization and he was a former New York Tech alum. Um, and he called my college coach and said, Hey, you know, is, uh, is George around? I know he's playing independent ball, but you know, is he around? And, uh, uh, I remember John Rico, the assistant GM for the Mets called me. I was like, Oh damn, I'm getting re-signed by the Mets. This is awesome. It's like a dream come true. You know, I grew up Yankee fan, but still. And then, uh, John goes, yeah, we're going to do this. I was like, Oh, you guys aren't looking to sign a catcher. He said, no. I was like, Oh. I'll just take the 200 a day and be on national television for three straight days. I'm good with that too. It's not bad. So, um, but no, that was, that's how I got that, that gig. No, it wasn't like I'd asked for it or anything. It just, it literally fell on my lap. And then I, I was originally told I was able to keep the, the glove and the gear. And then, uh, so the guy at the end of the day is like, Hey, you got to give back the glove and the gear. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> not happening. So I put the glove in my bag. I made sure I wrote all over it, wrote my name, my initials, every, the whole nine, all over it. Blah, blah, blah. So I get a phone call like a week later, like, hey, man, you got to you gotta bring that back. I was like, no, nah, I don't have it. He goes, what do you mean? I said, oh, no, oh, the glove, the glove. Yeah, I don't have the gear, but I had to send the glove back. But I made sure my name and everything was on that glove. So I said, if I send it back, though, you got to send me something. So they sent me a whole bunch of stuff that I don't even know where it is anymore. But uh, I was really hoping to keep that glove. So... How much can you learn as a catcher catching big league pitchers uh, like Mariano Rivera you were talking about? Well, I didn't get to catch him. I did get to warm up Max Scherzer on the field prior to the game. And believe it or not, I caught the only two Blue Jays at the at the All-Star game there, Cecil and Luke at the time. Um, and uh, I caught Chris Sale, Matt Moore, Cecil, Luke, Bradford, uh, Scherzer. I caught a bunch of cool, good guys. But – Believe it or not, it's way easier to catch a big leader than it is to catch anybody else. Because <laughs> it's not like buckshot fastballs in the GCL over your head at 98. It's <laughs> No, it's like you know where it's going to go. Like at first it's hard because you have to learn what they do because as a catcher, you're not just learning. Part of it is knowing what their arm slot is, where their arm slot is. I'm going to go in depth with you real quick. So knowing the arm slot, once you know the arm slot and then you know the pitches, you kind of have an idea of what those pitches are going to do movement-wise, if that makes sense. So, you know, if like a 12 to 6, guys over the top, you know, high three-quarter, 12 6, probably more like 1 o'clock to 7 o'clock type, you know, movement. But, you know, depending upon where the arm goes is where that pitch is typically going to go. So once you start to understand that, it makes it a little bit easier. And then knowing that a guy throws like 100, you're kind of like, all right, is it flat or has it got some movement on it? Typically, if he's throwing like 95, 96, it's probably flat. So you just hopefully put your hand there and hopefully hits the, hits the glove. But uh, like some guys, you know what the ball's going to do. So like if a guy's got like a, like a good two-seamer and you know it's going to, like I say, he's a right-hander throwing a good two-seamer, you know it might move, say, four to six inches this way. And I'm already prepared for it. And then the other thing, too, that you have to know when you catch these guys, you, you, you need to ask them, even at the lower levels, like, bro, what are you throwing to? You're throwing to my glove. You're throwing to a body part, blah, blah, blah. And, and, um, and um, are you starting it at my glove? And just getting that information, believe it or not, in the bullpens prior to these guys throwing, one, one, um, made them trust me to get, to, like, get ready to go. Like, it, it wasn't just, like, here's some slap, some random dude catching bullpens for us. It's like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. So it made it more comfortable for them to go out there 
to perform in front of millions of people. Um, so I would ask the guy, hey, blah, blah, blah. What, what are you doing? This one, I'm getting loose, but this is what it does. Okay, perfect, sweet, go. So um, getting familiar with your pitcher is, is really, really important. And then catching a big leaguer versus catching a minor leaguer, it's a lot, believe it or not, it's easier, even though they got nastier stuff, because it's more predictable of what it's going to do in a bullpen setting. In my opinion, I could be wrong. Someone can tell me I'm, I'm full of BS, but I, I, this is what I see. This is what I believe. Well, it's, uh, you, you have, they're more consistent. That's what we've, we've interviewed quite a few minor leaguers and, you know, even Donnie Murphy said that, uh, you know, it's just about consistency. That's what sets the minor leaguers apart from the major leaguers. So you oh. know that that fastball is going to be in there at 96, but it's going to be consistently in there at 96 or around the same area. Oh yeah. So you spent a short time with the Southern Maryland blue crabs. Yeah independent grind like oh it's the best i got paid more um believe it or not i was getting paid like 1800 bucks a month um it was it was good it was uh i liked it actually honestly i, I my pro pro experience wasn't very then was it the best um uh, it wasn't what i thought it was going to be i wasn't exactly sure what the minor leagues was going to be i thought it was going to be a little bit more like college which it wasn't at all especially being at the lower level that i was at um it was way different. It wasn't what I expected. Um, and I felt like I didn't perform to the, to the, I didn't do what I thought. I I don't think I did very well. Basically, I thought I could have done way better. I, I didn't, I didn't take it. I took it seriously, but I felt like there's things I could have done to, to stay around a little bit longer. And then when I got the independent ball, I felt more comfortable because it's older guys. Um, and you're kind of like, yeah, you, you, it's either you, you, you do well or you go home and there's no, development it's you, you put up or shut up so I really like that I kind of like that pressure a little bit more um, and then I got uh, I was going to get traded to a team in the Can-Am League um, uh, and then I got offered a job at IMG like a part-time summer job at IMG uh, the IMG Academy in Brainton and I was like uh, you know what writing's on the wall let me go try and coach um, and I was only at IMG for like like a year before I left, I didn't really like it down there. And then um, I took a job with uh, with uh, Baseball Factory, is like a part-time summer thing. Uh, and two years before I got hired again as a coach with the Blue Jays. Um, but the independent ball, uh, it's a great little, it's a cool little thing as long as you can get paid a little bit. Like I got paid, I mean, my like salary at the time was like twelve hundred bucks. I was getting paid eighteen hundred independent ball. I thought I was rich. <laughs> it's great. And I was three hours from home, uh, four hours. You know, Southern Maryland's not a bad spot. You know, Waldorf, Maryland, uh, it's only like 45 minutes, I think, from Baltimore. It was, it was a cool little spot, or D.C. So I enjoyed it a lot, actually. I had a really good coach, too. This guy, Pat Osborne, uh, who was coaching in double-A with the uh, – you guys know Pat? Uh, he was in double-A with the Yankees. That was actually going to be one of our next questions. You were managed by Pat Osborne uh, in Maryland, and Pat managed the Tampa Yankees for a couple of years. And uh, we were just going to ask you if you guys crossed paths at all while uh, you were down here. Hell yeah. <laughs> Every time I saw him, I'd go up to him, give him a little bit of a pound hug, man. How's it going? And I apologized to him once. I was like, hey, man, like, you know, I wish I would have, you know, played better for you. Like, just one of those things. I remember I came in the office one day when he was playing, when I was like, first, second, I was there. He's like, hey, you're going to be the backup. I was like, I'll bet in two weeks I'm going to be your starter. And he goes, all right. 
show them what you got. And so I got the opportunity to start a lot more after those two weeks because I showed them like that I was like, you know, serious. So um, Pat and I had a, had a pretty good relationship. I liked him a lot. He was a good – and then there was another guy there. There was uh, two other guys. Uh, I can't remember their, uh, their names, man. One was the pitching coach, older guy. And the other guy was a player coach, Jeremy, I think his name was. He was a player coach. And I think they ended up coaching the, the team at one point. Um, they had a really good staff down there, man. It was, it was, I loved playing down there. It was, it was great. Jeremy Sowers? I can't remember his last name, man. Yeah, there was, I saw you guys pitched, uh, you had a pitcher there. Uh, Jeremy Sowers used to pitch in the Indian with the Indians uh, for a few years. And uh, he was like in his 30s uh, when he was pitching there, like late, like 36 or something. So it might have been him. Is he a goofy guy? Uh, very tall, and he's got the last time I saw him, he had black hair. Right? <laughs> there was a dude there, I was playing with him. He comes up to me, he goes, Georgie. I said, What's up, man? He, and I forget his name, but it wasn't this guy. Jeremy, I'm talking about was outfielder, but he goes to me, he goes, Georgie, man. He's like, Man, I'm so left handed, I throw righty, and I can't even throw straps. And I was like, Huh? <laughs> So there's there's some characters, man, on on that team. I had some I had some good we had some good players, man. And uh, one of my good friends actually from that team, this guy Pete Sakaris, he pitched um, he pitched for a while. He's part of the Greek pitches on the Greek national team still. Um, like I made some good friends from that from that. It was a really good experience. I loved it. I really did enjoy it. What's the uh, biggest misconception that people probably have about independent baseball? Um, the quality. Of play uh, because of independent I don't know if it's true or not anymore but you have only certain amount of leveled players you can have so like when I was in the Atlantic League that's like really good <laughs> so uh, it's like a double-a equivalent I think double-a triple you get some big leaguers on that team so you can have like three or four big leaguers you can have like two or three triple-a guys two or three double-a guys and blah 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 but then I you know I had some guys on that team and I god bless them man they were really hard workers but some of them were like independent like independent guys like they were like they they there's no way that they can get into affiliated ball like they were stuck there um their thought of it was just kind of you know it was like really different perspective like I had a different perspective than the big leaguers I had a different perspective than the um, than the other guys, you know, so I was like, uh, you know, it's not like that. It's like, you, you know, like pro ball is a little bit different. So um, it's just different. Like the like people don't know what they get in. People don't know what it's like until they're there. You know, I get asked those questions all the time. Like I, I do camps and stuff all the time. All the time. I get asked like, Oh, the first thing, you know, Oh, you're coaching triple A, double A. It's like, no, there's like nine levels. It's actually 10. <laughs> If you think about it, you got double A. I mean, you got big leagues, triple A, double A, high A, which is where we're at. Low A, long season, low A, short season, advanced rookie, rookie, Dominican tricky league. There's like 10 teams. Well, people don't realize that, man. There's <clears throat> so when you know when you're when you're in you know out there in the world, I guess I'm gonna say uh, when you have to explain it to people and they're like, oh man, it's really hard. I'm like, yeah, it's really hard. So. How did you know you were going to get into coaching? How did you know you wanted to be a coach? And did you uh, did you have any visions of it? Yeah, I always said <clears throat> um, I always say that baseball is my career, but my jobs will always vary. If that makes sense. So at first, I was like, I'm a player. 
day. Um, then I wanted to get into coaching and then, you know, you know, your path to getting to where you're at, where I'm at now is, was different than other people's paths. You know what I mean? Some people like one of my good friends, Luis Hurtado, you know, he's in Chris, like me, Luis, Chris, Andy Permeen, you know, we all kind of played together. So some of those guys never left the organization. I, I, I left and came back, you know, you know, so everyone's paths a little bit different. And, uh, you know, starting out my first job was I was, uh, the uh, bullpen, the bullpen rehab catcher. Um, working with Nolsey, uh, called bullpens all the time. And I remember one of the first things that Nolsey said to me. He goes, "Remember, you're just catching bullpens." He said, "You're not a coach. Don't say anything." I was like, "All right, sweet. <laughs> so, just got to catch pens. That's it. All right, sweet. Catch, throw them back, throw BP. All right, sweet." Um, it was a cool gig, man. It was. I got to learn a lot uh, from the bottom, and now I'm starting to hopefully crawl my way to the top. Um, but, uh, you know, like I said, your, your job always vary. Like last year, uh, the organization gave me the opportunity to run extended, which was really cool. That was fun, but very stressful. Um, you know, I, you know, it's, you know, baseball is taking me everywhere I've, I've ever had the opportunity to go. And, um, who knows what the next step is, you know, who knows, maybe it's scouting, maybe it's a front office job. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever opportunity happens to land in front of me or any opportunity I, I earn. Um, but uh, like I said, baseball will always be my career, but my job will always be a little bit different each each and every other year. And you were talking about it. You work with the catchers a lot. Your organization yeah. stacked with catchers. I we feel like from top to bottom, you have Moreno, Kirky, Riley, all <laughs> Beck, all, all those guys. How easy does that make coaching and teaching some of these guys? actually makes it harder <laughs> because they're so good. So you have to figure out how to make them better. You know, like it, the biggest, the biggest difference between cop and a lot of, most of my friends are, most of my friends are all cops, firefighters, sanitation and Wall Street guys by day. And then they're baseball coaches by night. <laughs> That's what they do. It's all my, all my friends growing up. Uh, some of them coach at college level, some of them coach at high school level. You know, one of my best friends, Luke Bernardi coaches at the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. You know, my friend Alex coaches at Queens College. So the difference between my job and their job is they get paid because they're winning. They, they keep their job because they're winning. You know, for us, you know, it's great to win. Yes, I love it. But if the, my player who I'm responsible for isn't developing, uh, we got some questions to answer, you know what I'm saying? So um, it's, it's really important to help these guys develop to get to the big leagues because do we want them to be big leaguers with the Blue Jays? Of course. Is it realistic to have eight big leaguers on the roster with the Blue Jays next year? No. So we hope these guys develop into big leaguers, whether it's, you know, somewhere else or with us. But at least at the end of the day, I can say personally that, you know, I did everything in my power to help whoever I'm there to help at the time, you know. So, you know, we got, we're blessed to have really good catchers, really blessed. And then outside of the outside, you know, like I said, I, I work with a lot of kids in, in Tampa area during their off season. A lot of people are like, oh man, Blue Jays got really good catchers. It makes it really easy to find extra work during the off season. They all think that, yeah, it's one of the best ever. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> that was like, uh, no, real talk. No, we, we really do have some good guys, man. And we have, you know, what's really important though. We have a really good, we have a really good group of catching coaches, man. We have between, you know, coach, we have Schneids, Huck, Schaaf, um, you know, Mayorga, you know, uh, Danny Kineas, you know, we have some really good, Dane Fujinaka, uh, he's uh, coaching in the, in the, in the um, 
Dominican League, and then um, who's the other guy? Matt Wright. We got we got some Jake McQuiggan. Get some good coaches, man, to help with the catching department. So it's a blessing to to work with good guys and to have good players. So you coached in the GCL last year. Uh, yeah. Coming to what would have been done even this year, and hopefully we get it next year. Uh, do you think it's easier? You kind of mentioned. Do you think it's easier to coach those younger guys? Maybe they're just coming into our system, coming out of college, um, or do you think it kind of gets easier that they've already been in our system and they know what to expect uh, from the coaching side? I think it's for me. I I I personally think I did really well with really young kids because you know I think that's my strong suit. Um, you know, my strong suit is. To, drill work, drill design. That's what I believe my strong suit is, like coming up with different ideas and creative ideas to develop the physical, a lot of physical tools. Um, so my favorite thing about being the GCL is like, a lot of these guys are from not from the States, a lot of, a lot of Latins come over and you got a lot of young high school kids. Um, so who's their first coach when they get to the States ever? It's gonna be me, right? So I better make a really good first impression on them, you know, about, one, about the culture here in the States. Two, you know, about the program that we put forth for them, you know, as the catching program. So I think it's actually a really, really important job at the at the lower level because, like, you're the first one they're going to see, first one they're going to meet. You're at the complex all the time. You know, you're around rehab guys. Like, you know, there's, there's a lot to do, man. So um, I, I really enjoy that level because, you know, you're – I remember all my first coaches, man. They're all, you know, all really good coaches. So, you know, I had Omar Malave as my first manager. And uh, I remember my first first day I was signed as a catcher. I was like number like 30 on the depth chart. Um, and I remember Omar comes up to me and goes, hey, Carl, what's up? Oh, what's up, man? He's like, what else can you do? And I was like, well, you know, I can play first, play third, short, second, left, right, center, pitch, DH, water guy. You know, you can only help the guy in the trainer's room, throw the towel too, whatever you need, know. Here, team captain. captain of my high school college team. You know what I'm saying? So uh, he's like, okay, you play first. I was like, all right, play first base today. Sweet. I haven't seen a ground ball since like five months ago. But all right, so I grabbed, I forgot who the coach was. I was like, hey, man, can you have some ground? No problem. First game as a pro is the first base. And I didn't leave that position until the end of August. So, <laughs> what's um, the, but, uh, yeah. how tough is the communication from those guys coming over from the DSL? Uh, either for you uh, with your brushing up on your Spanish or with the pitchers as well uh, in terms of you have guys that have lived their whole life in the U.S. and maybe don't know Spanish. It's – oh, okay. So, you got to look at – I'm a New York City guy. You know, I grew up in – you know, one of my best friends is, is Dominican from New York City. <laughs> you know, I grew up in the, the biggest cultural area in the world. You know what I mean? So – for me, it was probably a little different than some other people. So I was a little bit more understanding, a little more, I was, you know, it's probably raised and it raised different. And one of the best pieces of advice I was given, and I still use this advice today, um, the minimal Spanish you know, talk it and be okay with them laughing at you. And then when they speak English, laugh at them. But at the same time, like, make sure you're correcting them and then and ask them to correct you. And that that's a really good way to learn. Like, if I can develop, develop show humility and, like, that I actually care, like, that I'm literally – I really care. Like, I want to learn. Like, I need to help 
Like my job is to help develop you. If we can't communicate, there ain't no development going on. You know what I mean? So um, I feel like that is a very important thing to do is being willing to, you know, put yourself out there that you're, that you actually care because, you know, we can speak, we, you, all three of us speak nine, 10, 30 different languages, not understand one of them, but you know, there's a way that we can communicate, you know, especially in the baseball world <clears throat> that shows like, I care for you. Like I'm really here to help you develop. So, you know, one of the things that um, one of my mentors, uh, Anthony Iaposi, is, uh, who was a hitting coordinator with us is with the Cubs now. He always says, George, remember, you're not just a baseball coach, you're a life coach, man. So they're always going to remember what you do for them. And, um, you know, but you have to, you know, you know, help them to develop both as, as a player, but also as a man, you know, and make them tougher and get them get them through it so that's one of those things that always stuck with me so you know <clears throat> when I when I talk to the guys in Spanish like I'm going to say stupid things just so to make them laugh to make them feel like to open them up a little bit you know at the end of the day when you're trying to build relationships it's, it's all like dating it's like I gotta you know I'm gonna you know it's, you're trying to make them feel comfortable you know you're trying to find a personal thing with with between you and them that's going to you know help the development process one last question for you, George. Uh, you help a lot of young ball players outside the organization, like you said before. And uh, if you go on your yeah. Instagram up and down, you have different drills you're teaching and just showing kids how yeah. to do. Tell us a little bit about some of the camps you run and uh, how, how you help how you help out some of these high school kids. Yeah. Well, fun fact: I actually co coached Jordan Groshans uh, at a baseball factory event in, uh, when he was like 14, 15. Uh, but um, no, one of the things that I do is because I work, I like during the off season, I still help out a lot with Baseball Factory. Um, they're a national organization. They put on the UA game. They, you know, they do all these different events. Um, and that's my off season thing. And during, during this whole quarantine thing, um, we put together a lot of catching Zoom classes for like some of the kids like in the program and stuff. So I was a big part of that. Um, and, um, you know, um, one of the things, the reason why I do all this stuff for the Instagram is because I feel like there's a lot of content out there that's really good, but no one ever explains a damn thing about it. Um, you see a lot of Twitter, all Americans posting all this information, but there's no reason for like why they're making certain guys do it. So I feel that's really important um, for the, and I, and I did it more for the kids that I get to see because it was, I, you know, I, I see all these kids with baseball practice, kids from all over the country. You know, there's a lot of kids from, um, the Tampa area and like if I can't work with them at least I can give them some good content or at least what we think is good, what I think is good content for them to help the development process and sometimes I'll put some cool goofy little drills up there but um, I try to put all my own original content or if I see something that I like from somebody else I'll make sure to say hey I saw this from so-and-so check this out this is good but I feel like it's really important in today's society because um, another thing that my friend Anthony always talked about is uh uh, remember, you're teaching a patient game in an inpatient society, so you need to give the why. It's really important because if you don't give the why, they can just go Google it. So now there's a lack of trust. And if you don't know the why, say, hey, I don't know. Let's go Google it together So um, or go ask somebody that knows. So I feel like when I put all that stuff, and I get, I get some stuff. I get, you know, some guys make fun of me like oh look at you put this drill out blah 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 no I do it honestly to, to help with the kids that, that I work with and the kids that if I can't see them throughout the year because I'm not I'm not going to California to go work with some kids like but if we can if we can talk over the phone or we can communicate through zoom you know I get occasionally I have a lot of I have a huge latin following believe it or not um so 
I get a lot of questions, dude. I'll get like once a week, I'll get a question in Spanish from like some random person, like Puerto Rico, Dominican. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, let me translate, blah, blah, blah. And they'll send me a video and I'll be like, oh, all right, boom. So I get a lot of kids that'll send me videos and I'll then I'll tag them in the drill. I think will help them out the best. Be like, hey, you know, Maddie, hey, take a look at this, boom, boom, boom. Look at this drill to help you with your hands or whatever. So, um, you know, that's the reason why I do that um, because I feel like, I want to be someone who provides good information. I never want someone to get misinformed on certain things. Cause you see a lot of goofy stuff on the internet. Like there's a couple of things on my page. You'll be like, what the hell is he doing? Well, we tried something. If it doesn't work, don't chastise me for it. Just say, oh, it doesn't work. All right, whatever. Move on to the next thing. We learned, we learned something that doesn't work. Let's learn something that will work though. So that's one of the things. That's the reason why I like to, you know, I do that for a lot of kids. George, thank you so much for taking uh, some time to sit down with us uh, during quarantine and uh, and sit yeah. up with us for a little bit and uh, talk about some baseball. Do you have anything you like to say to the fans out there of the Dunedin Blue Jays? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, after tonight, we'll see you next year, I guess. <laughs> so, um, you know, I was really looking forward to to being in the new stadium, being in the new ballpark. You know, I, and I, you know, I was like, oh, first time I'm coaching in full season. You know, we have a like. And I'm not saying this to say this. We have a legitimately really good staff, like really good between uh, Murph, Maddie, Taylor, myself, um, uh, our nutritionist, Layla, our, you know, Luke is our, our um, medical guy, Batch is our strength conditioning guy. We were, we were actually looking forward to working with, with each other. And when we saw the roster, the potential roster that, that we were going to have, we were like – damn, this is going to be a fun year. We have a lot of good players. We have a lot of good young potential prospects. We have a lot of kids who prospects, you know, you know, it's going to be a fun, it's going to be a fun year. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to learn a lot about ourselves because it was the first time Murph was doing this. Uh, first time I'm in full season. You know, it was a lot of firsts for a lot of guys on the staff. So hopefully they can keep us together for next year um, because we've developed a really good relationship uh, amongst the staff. Uh, during this whole quarantine thing. So, um, you know, we were all looking forward to, you know, being at the stadium, you know. So, you know, I, my, mom, my mom lives up the street now. She moved here from New York. So I was like, I'll get you, I'll get a chair with your name on it. So I was going to talk to Shelby. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, no, I was, I, we were all looking forward to it, man. And obviously we just have to wait another year. So that's what it is. Thanks again, George, for taking some time to talk baseball with us. No problem, man. Andrew and George Carroll signing off. Dunedin Blue Jays fans, we'll see you next year at TD Ballpark. Take it easy. Later, guys.